0: Welcome back to the Resilient Futures Podcast.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Resilient Futures Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Alicia Holmrich, and my co-host, Todd Bridges, is here with me. Hi, Todd.
2: Hi, Alicia.
1: And we are so excited to be welcoming Marta Burbis back. It's back, right? You've been on the show a few times before. I have a few times and it's always yeah. great to be back. Would you mind reintroducing yourself for <laughs> our audience?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, thank you so much. It's great to be back in this space or this transformed the space. Uh, so thanks for that. I My name is Marta Berbes and I'm an assistant professor at the School of Planning and the Faculty of Environment in the University of Waterloo in Canada and I'm broadly interested in building urban resilience.
2: Thanks for that introduction, Martha. This is the first time that we've met. And I know we're going to be discussing uh, the application of a number of techniques in the Global South. I'm interested in how how a professor at the University of Waterloo, which is not part of the Global South, is working in the Global South.
3: You that's actually a really good question uh so and I think it kind of gets uh to 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 some of the the points uh that I want to make later on uh in terms of building relationships so this is work that I've been doing for many many years and this has been work that has come out of different opportunities uh, with projects and, you know, sometimes with invitations from local, uh, from partners from, from the global south. And and so it's always been a passion of mine uh, to work in, in Latin America. And uh, I've been managed to cobble up some opportunities. But this particular project that we're going to be hearing about um, comes from actually doing a, international student exchanges. Uh, where we have taken students to do work for about 10 weeks with our local partners. And, and it's been a very exhausting process, but really exciting process. And so we wanted to to make sure that we could do this year round, not just for you know, the 10 weeks with the students. And so we convinced the partners to uh, work with us. And so it has been this sort of collaboration that has been emerging for for many years.
2: That, thanks for that explanation. The, the world is a big place, but in some ways, it's also small, and maybe even shrinking in regards to the types of of collaborations that technology and and social networks allow us. So I, that's that's why I asked the question. But I appreciate that. But you know, today we're going to be discussing the themes of resilience connected to nature based solutions and this concept of informality that you're going to help us understand. So could you describe this problem space, if you will, and and opportunities as you see them for our listeners?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think we we see this in in terms of potential. And so this specific project is really about uh, looking at the potential of nature-based solutions. As an alternative pathway to urban development in cities in in the global south, and so sort of before we get to 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 that rationale, I, I kind of want to uh, define nature-based solutions because it's one of those buzzwords, and you know it, it has been it, it's used in in different ways, and and so we tend to 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 use nature-based solutions to refer to all the parts of the city that have ecological form and function and that uh, can create benefits for humans and nature, right? And the idea of benefits is is very broad. So we think of a benefit could be the the sense of place that you derive from going to your favorite park in the morning, or it could be, you know, water filtration that is provided by um, a rain garden or the biodiversity, uh that uh pollinator garden sort of um creates so so there's all sorts of benefits and and the part that to me is is more exciting is the part about the solutions which is is not just that we have these bits of nature in cities but that we need to manage those to ensure that they're providing benefits and obviously tied to that is all sorts of questions about equity and who has access to those ben- uh, those benefits etc. But so so I wanted to to, to give that definition. But I think that just to return to to the original point is we're trying to create a conversation about the potential of nature-based solutions for cities in the global south. A lot of the literature of nature-based solutions has been developed in the global north and cities in the north have followed a different trajectory from those in the south. And specifically, Um, A lot of cities in the global South um, have to contend with informality, right? And uh, this is between, in in Latin America, which is where where I'm focused, uh, between 30 to 60% of urban infrastructure development is informal. So that means that you'll have typically low-income residents who build their own housing, and then municipalities might provide basic service retroactively, things like sewage or or water or, or... roads. And the way that we define informality, again, it's, it's quite broad. Um, we think of it as a mode of urbanization through which specific populations and specific activities and places experience exclusion, right? And so that's exclusion from like having access to resources, security, public services, etc. And the, the interesting part about informality is that it presents in this context, a double edged sword. So it obviously creates vulnerability. And I think that that's what people immediately see Uh, because most people who live in informal settlements are lower income people, right? So there is poverty and there's uh, its own set of issues associated with uh, poverty. Um, There is, you know, we mentioned informality as a form of exclusion. So that means that uh, Folks that live in that context usually lack representation in and voice in, in governance process, in the formal governance process. Uh, and also informal settlements, they tend to be relegated to the parts of the city that uh, where, that are, are or were undesirable, so uh, hillsides or riversides. And so that means that they tend to be places where there is uh, high exposure to risks such as uh, flooding or uh, landslides and or extreme heat and all of these are going to increase with climate change. Um, so having said that, the the other part of informality and and I think that this is the part that is exciting is that um, informal spaces can offer um, they can offer a platform for innovation. So there are places that because uh, the rules have been relaxed or maybe non-existent or adapted, uh, they allow for experimentation. Uh, that means that people in, in those places oftentimes have because of because of they had to do it, uh, they have been, you know, finding solutions through trial and error that are place based that work for them and that satisfy their infrastructural needs and services instead of waiting for municipalities to do so. So our argument is that um, in that space of experimentation, nature-based solutions may offer distinct possibilities that will direct urban development away from gray infrastructure, which is not going to work with uh, our changing climate. And, and there was more hybrid forms of infrastructure that can satisfy their housing needs, their services uh, needs, and also pro- provide some degree of protection to climate change impact.
2: Well, thanks for that response, Marta. As you were talking, I was thinking about the multi dimensional aspect of nature based solutions. And, and there are practitioners and people who are very comfortable thinking about the ecological, and the physical dimensions of nature-based solutions. But what you're exposing here, there are very important social and economic dimensions for nature-based solutions and in general to access to infrastructure services that affect everybody in an urban setting or even in a rural setting. So I'm looking forward to this podcast and our discussion about this.
3: Yeah, definitely. I think like that's a little bit how we frame nature-based solutions. Like we try to consider the social, ecological, the technological impacts and because, you know, there is going to be trade-offs as well. So I I don't often think about um, silver bullet solutions. I think that oftentimes you have to be very mindful of the context, the people who are implementing it and, and why. Right. So uh, and that is and that's also part of of this project is wanting to um, really be mindful that you cannot take a solution that is developed in one context and just transfer it to a different context without giving it a second thought. And so how nature based solutions are received in informal settlements, we don't know right? Uh, In in fact, some of our experience is that uh, some folks in informal settlements, when you talk about um, green spaces, they might associate something a lot more negative, uh, because they might think they might associate green space with, you know, garbage, because sometimes people do use uh, green space to dump garbage, or with mosquitoes and diseases, or with um, you know, places that are not safe, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, it is important to really be mindful of the context and not assume that they're going to be well received, regardless.
2: Yeah, appreciate those points. Yeah, I, I, I don't think we should be thinking about silver bullet this, you know, solutions yeah. either. Maybe as a thinking about solutions as a biodiverse field of flowers. <laughs> we want to, we, we, want to uh, yeah. we want to pick and and uh, assemble the appropriate bouquet for the occasion.
1: Well put. So on top of that multidimensionality that Todd had just brought up, I think something you've just mentioned is that these areas of informality are communities that might not necessarily have trust in academia coming in or government coming into these spaces. And so I know an approach that you're proposing is more innovative and collaborative, and it's known as these urban labs. Could you describe this approach a bit more and how that may help address that uh, caution?
3: Yeah, so I'm I'm going to be um, succinct, I'll try, <laughs> uh, because we have two, uh, two folks uh, from the Global South that are going to talk more at length about it. Um, so the the idea or the model that we're proposing because of these multidimensional and uncertain times and, and context is is this one of, of an urban lab. So the idea of urban labs, they're a bit difficult to define because they can take many different forms. And in fact, I've seen them implemented um, in different places following you know, similar but a slightly different principles. Um, I think that the essence of an urban lab is that you create a space for collaborative experimentation. And and this is akin to many of the community processes that I mentioned before, where people are trying things to see what works, what doesn't, and then somebody like tells their neighbor, I've done this. And and so it's very uh, place-based and, and it is high, like experimental. And, and so there are processes by which, you know, there is problem formulation, right? It's like what is it that we're trying to seek a solution for, right? There is processes of deliberation, of strategizing, of thinking. Okay, well, we're going to prototype, and then finally you pilot, and and hopefully you monitor, and and you use what what works, and you sort of improve in, on what is not working. And and I think that. In some ways, that's what folks are doing anyway. It's, it's in some ways trying to formalize that. And so um, what, what we're doing is we have been working with um, several cities where these processes are somewhat ongoing already, uh, or at least elements of, of urban labs are already on the ground. And um, we have invited them to sort of like come together and work with, um, us like so some academics from the global north but also bring them together to create a network in which they can talk south to south dialogues as well um, and and that's what you're going to hear uh, you're going to hear from our partners from Guayaquil and from San Juan on how they have approached their local challenges.
2: Might I ask Marta another follow-up briefly I have sometimes found that the word Experiment can be a challenge. People don't want to be experimented with. But when I, I try to explain this more or maybe substitute, we're really just talking about planned learning. You know, so maybe maybe you could elaborate on that a little bit, what your thoughts are. It,
3: no, I I use it with a little bit of trepidation because I have heard and I think it's a valid criticism to not treat, uh, because it has a connotation that you are experimenting with people's livelihoods. Like there's like really high stakes to call it an experiment. And I hear that criticism. uh, I've had this conversation with other researchers. We don't know how to call it differently. Uh, The idea is the iterative nature. And there's something that is a little bit of experimental i don't think that you can be risky but i do think that you sometimes need to try things out so it's kind of like this push towards prototyping ideating trying something on the ground i think the language is really imperfect and i'm glad that that you brought that up
2: well i i think when when members of the public in particular are interacting with people from universities or other knowledge institutions, there may be some expectation that, well, give us the answer. You have the solution. And there is a discomfort with the idea that this is a very complicated problem. There isn't a single solution. We need to figure this out together. And, And I think that's maybe more in keeping with the idea of experimentation, but I think many people are uncomfortable with this idea that there's not a predetermined solution for them to just slip into the slot, if you will.
3: I think that that definitely happens. And I think that one of the things that uh, we try to be very mindful about is setting expectations. Uh, Because there are, and I think that that's really interesting, you're touching on these dynamics that are to some degree unavoidable when you have researchers from Global North working in Global South, uh, when you have academic experts working with community experts. And so I think that you have to be very mindful of those dynamics. Uh, In terms of um, not having a solution, I just think that Yes, it's a complex world. <laughs> These are wicked problems, right? Like whatever solution we come to is temporary, right? And and you're going to have different folks um, agreeing and disagreeing. And that's why I, I think that thinking about the trade-offs, thinking about who's winning, who's losing, uh, you know, how do you decide? These are really important, critical questions. and And that's a little bit why I think that, We have to be very mindful about sure nature based solutions sound good. Uh, You know, there's potential, but we really want to unpack the potential and make sure that it's appropriate and that it makes sense in that context. But yes, uh, there is learning. And I think, I mean, I think one of the things that is really neat, and and I think probably our, our partners will talk about it, is when oftentimes community folks are are way more powerful than sometimes they even realize, right? So I think like there is, uh, you know, like we go there to 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 learn from them, you know, and, and like innovation will happen when there is need, right? So I I think that um, it is very humbling experience as a researcher to to you know. Um, see that some of the things that you're thinking about like oh well, yeah these people are doing it That they're, they're implementing it like they're past that they need other solutions right so yeah I, th- I think it's an interesting space to be in
2: thanks for that
1: and on that note we've obviously started this conversation as three academics Todd's now adopted into the academic sphere. <laughs> but we do have um, Stephanie with us, and Stephanie has gone out and done some interviews with leaders in this space in the community. So I would love if Stephanie could introduce herself um, before we jump over to those interviews.
0: Hi, uh, my name is Stephanie Cruz sonnet and I'm a PhD candidate in the School of Environment Resources and Sustainability at Wa- at the University of Waterloo. My work is with uh, urban parks. I look at their performance and that's how I got connected to to this project.
1: Thanks so much Stephanie. We're so excited to hear these interviews. Let's jump over to those now.
0: Hi Tisha. Hi Mercy. Hi there. Hi there, also. Picha munoz erickson is a research social scientist at the USDA Forest Service International Institute of Tropical Forestry. And Mercy Borbor-Córdoba is a senior researcher at the Pacific International Center for Disaster Risk Reduction and a professor in the Faculty of Maritime Engineering and Marine Sciences at Escuela Superior Politécnica del Litoral or in Ecuador. Tisha, you have been working with communities uh, of the Rio Piedras watershed in San Juan, Puerto Rico for about five years. Can you tell us how this work got started and how does it look like on the ground? Yeah, so we
4: initially started working with communities years ago when we initiated a research project around the common issues of uh, concerns around flood risks in the city that uh, were very um, prevalent, especially in the lower parts of the watershed and very close to the coast of San Juan. And so um, one of the uh, approaches that we were trying to do with our research was to be interdisciplinary, but also include involve uh, communities and stakeholders. And in the beginning, there wasn't that much um participation uh, i think people weren't that aware of of especially of the main river that that uh went through the, the city and 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 how the relationship of of managing water and flooding from a watershed perspective with what they uh, experience every day but when uh recently especially after hurricane maria a few years ago uh, they uh, at a, a a really large project, infrastructure project that a, with the a, um, federal government to channelize that river um, that kind of sparked an interest in many communities because it meant. Uh, they saw what, what they did see about the river were all the uh, green around the river and the trees that they've been taking care of. And they realized, oh, no, if 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 they do this project to, to manage flooding, then I'm also going to lose all this other um, green and spaces that we've been uh, enjoying. And especially, I think, after the uh, hurricane and, the, and COVID, they really, really started appreciating the importance of that. So I think it wasn't until a few years ago when they saw that project also as another threat so climate is one threat the possibility of losing this uh uh asset that they see then they really um then they really started responding to some of the of the work that we've been doing um a, as as a, as an alliance of different groups in the in the watershed that have been trying to look at uh, flooding uh, management and resilience from a watershed perspective. And so since then, um, what we've been trying to do is hold a series of of different dialogues with communities. Uh, there's like about eight communities that uh, live along the river and would be affected directly by this project, but that also are very affected by flooding. So there is a, there there is a need for strategies that address their flooding, but they just think that something alternative to what's being contemplated now is what we should be doing. And so we've been having dialogues to uh, kind of uh, discuss how these problems are framed and, and really what are the causes of the problems and and where there are alternative solutions from the perspective of the community. And so challenging a little bit the way that uh uh more of a, of the formal government agencies are seeing the problem and also um co-educating ourselves you know us learning about their own knowledge of, of how they experience the risk and many of them say it's not the river it's the it's the urban the drainage system of the of the city you know or it's some other factors uh, so we could be addressing this in a different way um, and at the same time, the science that we've been developing on the watershed and so on—they they're really getting um, a, a, an education on that, so they can be more effective uh, uh, players or 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 have more of an agency in the in the in the process that the discussion is having with the municipality and the Army Corps of Engineer around the around that uh, channelization project. So for the last. A, a three years or so. Mainly, it's having very regular discussions, virtually or informally. Uh, but but building those relationships. And now uh, the main thing has been trying to bring those communities together to work more as a as a network or as a coalition of communities, um, so that they are also um, a, a, a acting at the level of the watershed rather than individual communities or their own little uh, part of the river or the project they're concerned with. So that's kind of where where we're at right now.
0: Mercy, in your case, you have been working with communities of Guayaquil and Durán, Ecuador, for about eight years now. Can you describe the work with the communities uh, How for about how long and uh, how it got started
5: How does it look
0: like on the ground?
5: Okay, thank you very much. It is my pleasure to be with you and share our experience. Yeah, we started around 2016 when we were preparing or were giving a workshop related with GIS to the municipality, to the local government, because we were finishing a project in coastal area related with different hazards. And the, the the work of different institutions like the Ministry of Environment, some municipalities, and some communities. So we prepared this workshop because we realized that a lot of the local government needs some tools to do your planning, to do their your land planning, to do some risk management, and we have a full house. No, municipalities from different parts, and um, people very excited to learn because the idea was to work with the data that they need to work. So they were working with the data that they use for their locality. So in this case, we have the first contact with the municipality of Durán. It's a city that is across Guayaquil, and in that they were really interesting in developing more deep tools. Not not just to to learn about the GIS and how to use the risk management for flooding and landslide, but also to develop more things that can what they can implement at the city level. So that was our first contact. And the interesting thing is that we sit together for almost six months to work in a process side by side to define what we are looking for together to to do. So we did like a legal partnership, doing like a you know memorandum of understanding and finance from one side to another to people with some responsibility to finally to work in a project that we call climate resilience for a city the Duran, no resclima, we call. And in that specific project, we are looking to start looking at a uh, uh, hazard like a flooding, landslide, but also urban is a urban heat island. So something very new for them. So we start working with them, with the risk management office, but also with the social office and some another office like public work. And we start looking for to build a lot of data that the city could use it for their plan, for their land planning. But at the same time, we were also approaching to the community to talk in different sector to, know what is the issue for them as it's true they say you know it's the 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 precipitation is increasing, but also we have a drainage problem. We have this channel that have been full with carbon, and we have some problem because of the system of sewage is not enough. And some of this part of the city, they didn't even have any kind of sewage. So those, the situation, we work in the vulnerability of the city and we use, you know, some mm, technique using, you know, um, the hazard, the exposure, capacity building, and sensitivity of the population. And we did this technical approach, but then we'll sit and validate it with the community. it was very interesting where the community really tell us, you know, something that we didn't know just looking at the data. So we, realize that the importance of the local knowledge because they really understand some specific thing that we as a researcher, even we have a lot of data, we cannot see it from 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 far away. And the other important thing that we have in the community, I may say, is that the university, as our center, the World for Risk Reduction, act as a catalyzer no, it's like uh, and we do this interaction with the community at uh, this interaction with the, the local government at the beginning. They were uh, talking about together, they were talking, they weren't talking each other, but we were like a piece of connection with the connector with these two groups and created a more um, a welcoming environment not just to uh uh to to request something from the community to the government but also to try to do some dialogue so from then we have been working in different scenes some of them you know we were thinking to do some uh um uh nature-based solution at the city we find some specific uh areas that we can plan but you know this is what's very interesting finding that Meanwhile, researchers and the technical officer from the city where were looking at the infrastructure, how to build here and how it will be spent, The community was more concerned at how empower ourselves how we can do our empowerment, how can we organize better, how we can have the voice to reach to the authorities and in general to be, you know, listening about what we are doing here. So from there, we have been uh, working in more than one project, one related with COVID, with the community, another related with early warning system. So the the, the path has been a long way, but also this is interesting, we create some trust in the local government and have been a successful uh, partnership because we have passed like a three different administrations and we are still working with them, so we are still working now. Let me tell you the the, the last piece of thing, and in this process, the conflict of the city has been increasing exponentially. It has been so difficult, and now it's very difficult to work then because of the street violence related with gun issues and that. Duran has been the, uh, um, recognized as probably the most dangerous city of Ecuador. So even in that, I think the municipality really appreciate that we can still work and we're still there. You know, working in different ways because now we cannot go on the the territory. But I think this process of our learning together and uh, getting trust together, I think, has been important.
0: Those are both very rich trajectories of work with communities. And I'm hearing um, a lot of um, what I can imagine a lot of effort and and work by different actors. I can't imagine a trial and error process in in doing this, in achieving all of these meetings, getting them to be even somewhat regular. This effort, for example, to come back with a data analysis and, and validate that with the communities, organize workshops, certainly a very rich work. So I'm wondering, what things would you say have worked well with these participatory and collaborative approaches in the community? And then also what things have been challenging and how have you faced them? Tisha? Yeah, so
3: I think that
4: one of the first Things I have worked, especially coming from the perspective of, of of my full, you know, my job is a researcher, scientist, and what's expected of me in my institution. Um, that if I'm going to work with the communities, then I'm fully committed. I'm there for the long haul, uh, and it's not only when when I need something from them, when 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 I want to organize a workshop when I want to uh, have uh, a, a, a basically get any kind of, of of information or movement along the ways of participatory engagement towards um a towards this mutual end right that I'm not the only one that is setting the the agenda I must be willing to give up to very be very flexible and and uh in and, and, and dando, y dando e, e, and give and take right um and seeing myself really as part of the community, which also means that sometimes i'm gonna get the norms of engagement and the norms of relationship are very different. you know a lot of this is not necessarily by email during work hours. I'm getting messages by chat. whatsapp is like my my new best friend and uh it, it, in and things are constantly changing every day and so it's a a it, it, that's a challenge and at the same time. I think once I realized this is it this is what it is working with communities and I'm fully committed then it became the tool that I use for for really a uh, seeing change because then the more I put in the more I the more than I saw uh, uh, success so for instance uh, I we we put I say myself and, and my team uh, we put a lot of time and effort into having these separate individual meetings with some people that needed it but but and then having these trying to do a more structured set of dialogues so that uh, it it was also a little bit there's some right consistency in organization but be willing to okay well that person cannot make it so i'm gonna have to maybe touch base with them uh, on saturday or something and so it, it sometimes it feels chaotic but having the flexibility to doing so and then um, and then giving each community, since we were working with like a five or six different communities, giving them each the the, the attention they deserve, but but then always towards the goal of that of of. of of bringing them together and connecting them on their a uh, uh, larger um, community and network and and so that took a lot of time because each community requires attention and time but you know we saw the the fruits of that last um, November when uh, we we did a community summit and for the first time we brought these different uh, groups together and and some of them you know have very different views of this issue because some of them uh really do feel the the impacts of flooding and do want to see some some infrastructure intervention and and you know feel like the 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 channelization project could be a good thing if done correctly or if done you know in in a in a maybe a, in some parts of the river and some other groups really don't want to see it at all so there's there's very opposing views but but they all come together into the into the idea that uh, they don't they don't agree with how it's proposed now. They can, they see, they they agree that there must be an alternative, and so I focused on that as kind of like that boundary object where where to encourage them to to come together and act like a river and or act like a watershed. And and so we had this. Uh, I was very nervous about the summit in November and how it was going to go. But I another kind of tool that I used in my toolbox was. Uh, always remember when I'm talking and engaging with community, are you being transparent about your expectations? Are you being transparent Tisha about how your own role in this and, 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 and are you being humble um, with, with working with them? And, and so I think that that helped in that, in the, in the summit um, they were willing to play. They were willing to, to, to engage and be respectful with others and and just kind of humor what i i was proposing. And and we came out with a community resolution and they they went from you know they 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 have their own little organizations each but they're now also working um as a coalición comunitaria de la cuenca de río piedras. It's official now. Um we are actually meeting next week to to work on the their work plan because uh, the Army Corps of Engineer is uh, reaching out to them to have meetings with them, but separately. And they said no, no more separation. If you want to engage us? We're going to engage as a coalition, and we're going to present this resolution. Um, so, so it it worked, but definitely not in a you know necessarily in a very uh, structured plan. I just use. I just use the ideas and, and of of the literature and experiences of other cities and things that they're doing kind of like just as a again, a guidance, uh a a and, and and as a set of questions that I ask myself of how I'm 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 engaging in the space, but at the same time letting it be and see where it goes and sometimes it's frustrating for, uh, for us because we need results and we need want to write and you know i don't remember last time i've been able to write because it's also but that that is that is uh really where i see the the richness of this and then and then um hopefully uh, soon i'll be able to 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 really get that story out and and um but it it it, it that to me that's what it takes um and sometimes if you cannot do it yourself directly or put the time directly then create a team that can um create a team and 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 find you know trusted people uh, locally to 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 really be that person um and so i've been i've been trying to do a lot of that so that we can really a again put the resources and the energy and attention that this deserves um otherwise i I would say don't do it because it's just not, you know, I think you you must be willing to be committed to that. And that's and that goes also not just for communities, but but um a, a practitioners of of, of of different agencies and so on, that being willing to be responsive um and, and honest and transparent. So uh yeah, so I would say that you know, there's no um the main best practice i would say is is to 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 be to be aware and committed of the time and energy and be willing to put it in and ask yourself constantly in every interaction you know are you were you were you transparent were you were you uh a, a humble were you listening um did you follow up <laughs> Those are some things that
0: well, has worked for us at least. Now, Mercy, what would you say? Things that have worked well and also some of the challenging stuff.
5: Oh, thank you for that question. Wow. have a lot of challenges every single time. And even we are, you know, after many years, we are still having a lot of challenges. I think always we're going to live with that. So the first message is, we have to accept it, and we have to live with all the challenges that is coming every single time. So, I mentioned probably three um, uh, challenges that we have faced. The first one is the capacity building of the capacities of the the, the in this case of the local uh, the, of the local government because it's changing you know, every time so quickly that we need to start over and over. And again, we need to, to start educating on what we have, and what the tools that we have, and the information that we have, and try to to it again, restart. And we have to repeat that many times, and we have to do it. That's the only way. Uh, the, the 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 thing will be to try to create some specific way, so every time that they change, they, the officers of the the people that that are the working there probably will be easier because it takes a lot of time also to prepare them to give it information to to say that we are we are we are have been doing and that's our next step. So it's like starting over every time. So a lot of time. So we cannot kind of do that if we are not really a really strong group of, of of researchers that is in our side. And uh, I have to mention that will be. The, so good the center that we have because it's not me a Pilar or another. We have a team of people and that's, you know, the people that is in the field, the people that is doing something and the thing. So that's one of the things. The other challenge is the transdisciplinarity that we face. So that's every single day we have to talk in different languages. <laughs> it's not the same. We are talking with the community. It's not the same. We are talking with the officer. It's not the same. Where we are talking to the decision maker. And we have been invited to this committee, the Comité de Operaciones de Emergencias, so we'll of the emergency committee to present our, uh, our research in a way that they, you know, that we will be able to explain why it's important to have some data, what is important. To work with the community, what is important to start doing this bridge between what we are doing at the academia with the people on the on the territory, so we are learning you know little by little, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, sometimes it's not <laughs> so we are there, we are there, and we accept this challenge as a part of the process of the transdisciplinarity and again. A lot of time we have to be also very flexible, as Tisha said. We have to move from what we think this is the way to the to the the, the option that the the government of the community decide. The third challenge, probably, I will say, is the community expectations. That's also they really you know expect uh, a lot of things. No, Now, for instance, we are working with the communities about the, the um, El Comité de Brigadas, the Brigades uh, Risk Management Committee. And so we have been doing some uh, capacity building and uh, first aid and another thing, but they really expect much. More so, we really need to do to talk to them. You know, this we can do. There are other things that you have to do by yourself because they have to empower. They have to recognize that in many of the issues of flooding or like they are the the actors, the first responder, but also the first stakeholder that are there. And sometimes some of the action they do probably if they put it in their own risk. So, because you know, sometimes it's too paternalistic that to say, you know, look, the government have to do such and such and everything. is It's not true. And we carry that message. We all have our responsibility to do what we have to do at the local level. So, I may say that those are, are the challenges, and probably one that is more in the side of the researcher is also the idea that we need to publish because as our way to measure us. And of course, if we just publish, it is very difficult to do all the kind of work that the community, the this stakeholder want. So at the same time that we are trying to write a manuscript for some science journal, we need to develop some tools and practical things like a planning, like a, some specific things that the people at the municipality or even the people at the community can use. And they take a lot of your time. And at the moment that you are doing your self evaluation, if you see, you know, I have a lot of things, but that doesn't count in my evaluation. And also, it's like it's some something discouraging and disappointing. And I always say that probably for a young and medium researcher, it's very difficult to do that. So, so on researcher, we are kind of more, kind of more senior, and we have another. um uh think that we could work in different networks, but it's very difficult for a young researcher to try to do all of that. So we need to be also more flexible for the researcher that overburdened over with many things. And uh, you know, at some point we we're gonna be for out. And that's not good for anybody because it's important to try to do that. So um, the final message is in this case, it's that that's the way it should be doing the research closing, especially this kind of research that working with the, the, the social group with the community, we really need to invest the time, you no, know, to get closer, to try to understand and to try to put two two type of product, not just the research, but also something else for the community. And of course that is also need the support and flexibility of our institution. Otherwise we really, you know, can be behind in our and how are you know levels of evaluation? And that's also uh we need to encourage the researcher to do this kind of transdisciplinarity work. So that will be kind of my message.
0: I hear from both of you this um, experience that there has, there have been challenges, but also that it has been worked in. So And I also hear encouragement to to do this work. So I wanted to follow up with a quick question for both of you. And that is, what would you say is the most rewarding so that for anybody listening out there in the community or among the municipal staff or fellow researchers what is that rewarding thing that you've gotten from the experience?
3: Well, I think
4: my reward is in seeing how perceptions and ways that that the communities are approaching things or seeing a problem. Uh and this goes also with with uh, managers and practitioners, um, and a, 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 and 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 seeing them try to come together, a which is a very difficult and slow process, but but being able and, and very intangible sometimes. But when you do see it happening, and you see that it's it's a result that you had, you maybe not a direct result, but that you had a role in that. Um, that to me is 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 because those are the fundamental changes that again it may not be visible it may not be quantifiable and it's difficult you know uh, to maybe uh, uh, put in a report but but it's very satisfying personally because then you know that's to me when you say yeah my work really had an impact it mattered um and 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 then and then the sometimes you wonder if they will build up into actual visible change. And, and, but, uh, I'm seeing that, yes, if you're patient, little things can lead to big change. Um, and so I'm seeing it now. In fact, just recently the, the Army Corps of Engineers came to us, uh, after having listened to all the ways that we've been saying their participatory process has been fractured and, and we started doing our own. So they would see, and now, now they're, um, they're trying to kind of uh, go go our way rather than us uh, trying to go their way so we'll see where that goes but just the fact that they're changing their tone and their approach is like whoa (laughs) I mean uh, and again it's hard for someone outside of this maybe to see it but when you see that they've changed your tone and they're coming to you. And actually an engineer, Army Corps of Engineers saying, yeah, I'm, I'm reading your papers and and about your approaches. And, and I'm like, oh, okay, 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 <laughs> that, that for sure. Uh, so yeah, so that's the kind of satisfaction I get from it.
5: <laughs> well, following the same question, um, I think we truly believe that we are doing something to contribute to the change, to the change, the change and to do the research in a change to do more uh, engagement with different stakeholders and uh, local government. So and, uh, it's like a movement, no? And uh, the people see like this is really step by step, no? So everybody sees that little piece that is coming. Here. And then somebody else said, hmm, that looks interesting. Let me see if I can contribute to that. In that way, we also have been kind of a, a glue that another group have been working and, and gaining with us. Like, uh, for instance, uh, let's say the National Secretary of Risk Management, now with the Minister of Environment, but that also with groups that coming from like a Red Cross, uh, the, the program, program that you see that we are working on the field doing things. So probably some people want to know, okay, well, how we can uh, unite our efforts. And so that is important. That's important. Uh, with the community, you know that the community will really need to put more and more effort because they really, you know, they are looking at what is next, how we really can be empowered. So that's something that we also have to be working. One of the good things, That I say in our university is like we have this specific mandate that our university have to be uh, vínculos con la sociedad, like uh, bridging with the society. So that means that every single year, all the students, absolutely all the students of the university, have to go out and work in the project with us. So we have the human talent that we can work and to approach. So we have to have a path and then to try to do, you know, a little bit more. Yeah, the, the only thing is that we really need to educate ourselves in how to deal with this kind of social approach. Because sometimes it's not so easy and we are not well prepared for it. Now, I'm a biophysical scientist, so I have to learn many, many things and probably have made many, many mistakes. So we really need to prepare a little bit in that in order to do a good approach to understand what is the best way to do it. And I think that's one of the best practices. You know, we are concerned that we need everybody learn this new way to do research, this new work to respect the other knowledge that is out there in the people at the local government, but also at the community.
0: Thank you both for sharing these very inspiring stories. Thank you, Mercy and Tisha.
5: My pleasure. Thank you. Have a good day.
1: Thank you, Stephanie, for gathering those experiences from Tisha and Mercy.
2: As I was uh, thinking about this episode and listening to it, it was personally impactful for me because even though I haven't extensively traveled in the global south or in Latin America, I have been to both Guy Kiel and San Juan, in fact, introduced to the context in San Juan by conversations with Tisha originally about nature-based solutions in that context. And I, I'm just struck over and over again by how much we can learn by sharing uh, with each other, across these different places in this wonderful world we live in and we occupy, and even though there's cultural context everywhere, it's all just people. and In my experience, people are more or less basically the same everywhere. They all have needs, they all have desires and 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 what we're trying to do is create spaces where they can express those, right and derive you know a satisfying life.
3: Yeah, and I would just add to that. I mean, I, I think that um, it's neat to see how these things evolve through time uh, and because it often is one step forward and then two step back, right? Uh, but I do think that uh, there's a chance here to sort of like through deliberation and strategizing uh, that new solutions would emerge that sort of like chart this path like away from, from gray infrastructure in in towards more hybrid forms of infrastructure that lead to more resilient futures.
2: Yes, agreed. And again, I think the North and the South have much to learn from each other in a reciprocal way. And I would extend to that the East and the West have a Mm -hmm. lot that they can learn from each other in a reciprocal way. So that's one reason why I think this is a very uh, useful discussion that we've had.
3: Yeah, thanks.
1: And thank you, Marta, for joining us today. And to close out
0: our episode, we do have a haiku from Stephanie. Stream facing houses, bounded by southern waters, now a blooming front. The Resilient Futures Podcast is an outreach effort brought to you by the University of Georgia's Institute for Resilient Infrastructure Systems, or IRIS. To learn more, please visit iris.uga.edu forward slash resilient-future-podcast. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, or ideas for future episodes, please find us on Twitter at rfuturespod or contact our production manager, Sarah, at s-a-r-a-h dot b-u-c-k-l-e-i-t-n-e-r at u-g-a-dot-e-d-u. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe and drop a review wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.